This is episode 73 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Hilary Walker. As an adult living and working in Germany, Hilary bought a horse and began riding again after a long break. A terrible rider, she got used to being yelled at by her various instructors while struggling through the national riding tests that would allow her to participate in shows. From show jumping, she progressed to one-day events, competing in Italy, England, and the U.S., wherever her husband's job took them. While in the U.K., she bred her gelding, Cruz Bay, on whom she now rides dressage in the States. Hillary's Christian faith was growing at the same time as her riding skills improved, and her fiction combines horses with her love of Christ. She has just moved to Hilton Head, South Carolina, where she lives with her husband and two English bulldogs. Cruz Bay is happily making new friends, as is his owner, at a wonderful local boarding barn. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have Hillary Walker on the show. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you, Connie. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. I am too. And Hillary lives in a place so close to my heart. She lives in Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. It's a place I spent many uh, spring breaks with my family. So she's an islander and she gets to ride year round and live on an island. How cool is that with the beach right there? <laughs> oh, I'm very privileged being here three years and loving every moment of it. That's fantastic. And She's also an equestrian after my heart because she's got all of her blue ribbons featured around the room <laughs> for those of you watching us on YouTube. So she is a, an award-winning author and a, an award-winning horseback rider. So we're going to have fun talking today. Those of you that listen to my podcast often, you know, I'd like to start off the conversation by asking the authors I interview how your love affair with horses began. Talk to us a little bit about your love affair with horses, Hillary. Yeah, um, it's, been kind of, it, it's happened kind of twice. The first time was when I was seven years old. And I had my first riding lesson. I can't even remember why or how that happened, but that was it. I mean, I was hooked and I was going to do everything I could to, to ride a horse, to get close to a horse. I would just stand and talk to horses in the field. I mean, I was really bad. <laughs> and, um, and I was bugging my parents for a pony, as you do. And I got to have riding lessons. And, but I've, I've been scared of horses most of my life. So it's been I love them and I'm scared of them but I just couldn't help myself. I had, to, I had to keep riding. So I would go on trail rides. My lessons consisted of trail rides in those days from eight, nine up to I was about 16. Um, but every time we got to the patch of grass where they'd canter, I would deliberately fall off because I was scared. I didn't want to canter. So everybody hated me. The whole ride had to stop and wait for Hillary to get back on her pony. And then we couldn't canter anymore. So um, I wasn't very popular. <laughs> and I was horrible at it. I was horrible at riding, but I just couldn't help myself. And then finally, I got a pony, age 16. Uh, my father said I could have him for two years, from 16 to 18. But when I went to college, I had to sell him. Mm. So I got my first pony. He was a 
Super Connemara and had a lot of fun with him. He actually got, after I sold him to the school, um, he got an award from Princess Anne for long loyalty as a disabled riding pony. They used him in the program. Yeah. So so he got his, his medal from Princess Anne, which was nice. Then I stopped riding and I figured that was it. I couldn't afford horses. That was the end of horses. But then I met my husband and he made me ski every single weekend. We were living in Germany, which is where we met. He's American, but he loves skiing. And as soon as the ski slopes opened in November until the end of March, we had to go skiing every single weekend. I was working, I was a CPA with a firm in Frankfurt, as was he. But all my weekends were spent skiing. And then finally, in March, the, the, the snow was melting and getting icy. And I just sat down on the slope and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to ride. And he said, well, then get yourself a horse. So I thought, he has no idea what that involves. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell him. So then we bought a horse for me. And then he realized he wasn't going to see his wife for dust if he didn't buy one too. So he actually joined in, which was great. Yes. So, so that it started all over again. So I had about a, oh gosh, maybe a 10 year gap. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was just so privileged to get back into horses then. And uh, we've had horses ever since. Oh, and, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. That's like a dream story. And your husband embraced it and, and supported it and got his own horse and learned to ride. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he and it was great. We competed together. We did uh, show jumping together, one day eventing, dressage. I mean, he was a trooper. <laughs> His horse has died. He died two years ago at age twenty-eight. So he's my husband is happy playing golf now. He's he's happy to not have to ride, but he was he was wonderful about it. So and wow. I've still got my guy. That's fantastic. And it's always so hard to say goodbye to our beloved horses. I, I know how difficult that that is. Yeah. Twenty-eight is though nice and long. Yes. Uh, you know, and in addition to your forever love of horses, I, I, you know, it's so funny to me that you had like this love hate relationship where you would, you wanted to ride so badly, but you would also jump off when it was time to canter. Canter is always the scariest part for, for yep. young people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But clearly you got over that. So this, yes. so, you know, that's yes. wonderful and way to keep with it because that's what we have to do, whether it's riding or riding, you just have to keep keep with it and keep going because you never, you never know when it's all going to magically click. Yeah. And if you've got a passion for it, I, it got to the point with horses that I couldn't help myself. I, mean, I just had to do it. Even if I was rubbish. I mean, I, I had a, an instructor in Germany. I'd been taking as an adult when I started riding again, I had this German instructor and I took private lessons every single day for three months. And at the end of the three months, I mean, I, I was going to go on forever, but the, the, the instructor came up to my horse he said, stop, stop. And he came up to the horse's head and he looked at me and he said, are you sure you want to keep doing this? <laughs> I was so bad. I was so bad. Um, I mean, things improved after that, you know, quite a long time, long ways down the road after that. But I just couldn't help myself. I just mm. had to keep doing it. And if you've got a passion and same for writing, you just keep doing it. And then eventually, like you say, the pieces start to fall together and, and things start to work out. That is incredible advice. I love the way we started off this interview because of it, this is all about grabbing your passions and hanging on tight and pushing through and making things happen, which leads us to your books. You've written a lot of books and you, you write horse books too. So talk to us about your books. Like what led your passion for horses into your book series and what you're up to now? 
Well, the first, the first uh, real horse book, um, it was, I, I, I'm also Catholic. I mean, anybody who's read my, my Riding Out series will know that. And, and I'm a pretty passionate Catholic too. And I wanted to combine the Catholicism or Christianity in a broader sense with my horse, love of horses. And my son has ulcerative colitis, which he got at age 21. So as a very young adult, he's had to struggle with this. And he's very much, he's impressed me enormously with the way he deals with it. So I said, that's it. I want to write a book with a hero who has ulcerative colitis uh, without sugarcoating it, uh, at the same time trying to give a little bit of advice to people on how to deal with it, having watched my son deal with it naturally. He tried the medication, just didn't work. It, it made him worse. So he's been working hard to get better naturally. So I thought, okay, I'm going to combine all those elements. I'm going to combine the Catholicism, the horses, and my son's situation into one book that will hopefully be interesting. I'll enjoy writing it. We'll see. Mm -hmm. So I did that and I handed it to various people, you know, your family and friends to, to look at. And my uncle said, this book is, it's trying to be more. There, there are more books trying to come out of this. This isn't a single story. And I thought I'd finished, but he said, no, you haven't. So I realized, yeah, he's right. And that turned into a trilogy. Mm -hmm. And and I enjoyed writing it. It was a lot of fun. I had no idea that the story could go anywhere, but it did. And then you know how it is when you have characters that you get heavily involved with. They take on a life of their own <laughs> and they tell you what they want. They tell you where they're going to go and you just got to follow them. Absolutely. So that's how, yeah. So that's how the first trilogy happened. And also it was a great excuse to use everything I've ever done with horses uh, into the books. So the trainer has a lot of problem horses that surprise, surprise, He's dealing with troubles that with horses that I've had. So it was writing what I know, putting it together and seeing if anybody wanted to read it. What's the name of your trilogy? And do you have the covers there? Yes, I've got okay. I have to say in advance that these are because they are ebooks that I've also published as physical books, then I only have my author copies. But here's the first one. So it looks a little weird with not for resale written across it. But this is the first one. Perfect. So writing out the devil. And then that was followed up by writing out the tempest. My uncle said, call the first one writing out the devil. And I thought, ah, if it's going to be a trilogy, then I should use the writing out for the rest of the books and make it a series that's easily recognizable. So oh, here's the next one. And that's book two, and then book three, Riding Out the Rough. So there we go. Again, I apologize for the line across, but you get the idea. <laughs> well, these these are the things that you know people listening to this podcast learn. You know, it's authors do order author copies that say not for resale, and sometimes we right. send those to our early advanced readers. And right. you know, often that's what we work with. Those are part of our toolkit. And your your covers are gorgeous with the, the horses on the front. I mean, it's very clear. This is a horse book. You know, I'm sure that was a, a decision you made on purpose, intentionally. Yes, yes. I, I wanted to have a single crisp horse on it that was in action. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't want it to have any bridles or saddles or people on him. I just wanted the horse because it was, yeah, the horse was an important part of this whole thing. And uh, having done the first cover with the first horse on it, I said, okay, that, that I'm going to do all the other covers with a single horse doing something interesting so that it's, a nice cover, eye-catching, but also is a trademark of the Riding Out series. So 
the covers of the second trilogy in the Riding Out series, same thing. That's so they stand out, hopefully, and people can recognize them. This is this is the trilogy that's the Riding Out trilogy. Very smart move. And so this trilogy started your horse book, equestrian fiction kind of jaunt, but then you've since expanded. You've you've re- you had success <laughs> with the trilogy, and now you, you're continuing to go. And you also have dabbled into some Christian romance. Am I am I framing that up the correct way? Yes, absolutely. Um, so what happened was I'd done this first trilogy that you've just seen the covers for, and somebody had said, really would like you to do a trilogy. I want to know more about the priest, Father Michael, who's in your first trilogy. So I knew I had that coming up, but I needed a rest. I, I was just needed to take a break from the Catholic trilogy, do something different, recharge my batteries so that I was ready to do the second trilogy. and. NaNoWriMo was coming up. If For those of you who haven't done it, it's a challenge in November every year where you are given the challenge to write 50,000 words of a novel within the month of November. Obviously, you've done yeah. <laughs> 1,666 words a day for 30 days, which is, if you're used to writing, that's not a bad thing. But if you're not, it's, it's kind of a stretch. But I thought, okay, I'm going to use the NaNoWriMo challenge to do something different. and well, let's try a romance, a horse romance. So I did that. And the first one was actually a Hilton Head romance called Ivan's Choice. And then after I'd written that, left it alone a little bit, come back to it, tidied it up and published it. And that did rather well. So I thought, okay, I can think about doing some more romance books with horses in, which by the way, is a Fabulous combination to write too. It's a fun thing to write. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, uh, you're speaking to my heart here. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I bet. Yeah. So then, a friend of mine who's a brilliant writing instructor came to visit, and she was giving a writing clinic at Defusky Island, which you may know if mm-hmm. you went down to Hilton Head. It's an island apart from Hilton Head that you can only get to by boat. There are no no cars allowed on there. Everybody goes around in a golf cart. That's how the island operates. So my friend went there to give a clinic and I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect. All I need to do is make an island of my own. I'll invent an island and then I will have horses on it. Of course, I have to deal with the logistics of getting the horses on the island, which comes into the books. And uh, because some of the people at the barn where my friend was teaching were dating people on the island, married to somebody on the island. I thought, this, this, this works. People actually do meet people on islands and get married. <laughs> um, that, and then that was it. I thought, okay, I'm not going to do the Hilton Head ones anymore or for the time being. I'm going to do Sinclair Island romances. The island's called Sinclair Island. And off I went. It was great. It was great being great fun, being <laughs> great fun. I mean, it stretched me because it's not my normal genre, but I'm getting into it more and more as I write them. Yeah. And I love it. I love listening to the inner workings of your author mind. Isn't it fun when like these ideas like bubble up and you're like, oh my gosh, I can do something with, with it. And you just got to run with it because that's your muse telling you that's the direction to go. Yeah. Absolutely, and you have, yeah. you have a cover there too of one of your romance novels, which which I thought was really cool. You showed that to me earlier. Yes. This, this is one that am I allowed to plug the people who did the Cover. Absolutely, yes. I used uh, 100covers.com. Let's see if I can give you. And they do a brilliant job. They charge $100 for a cover, which you cannot 
argue with. And if you watch out, they actually do have deals where you can get them for $49 sometimes. Those um, info stack deals that they have sometimes with about 50,000 things for authors just for the price of $49 and 100covers.com, they often advertise in there for $49. You can get that cover for $49 if you get the info stack. And you can't beat it. And they will also, in addition to the cover for the ebook, as you can see, they do it for your physical copy. They will also do banners and so forth for you as well. So That's incredible. I, just, I have to do a big plug for them. They've been brilliant. They've been brilliant for me. <laughs> and then, yeah. so they so they help you because uh, I, you know this is a question I'm going to ask you later. But I, I understand you're an independent uh, independent yeah. author. So yeah. so they'll design your ebook cover and your print book cover to the specifications that you need for uploading yes. to like Amazon and whatnot for a hundred dollars. Yes. That's yes. Amazing. Yes, and they're, they're very, very good because they, they ask you exactly what you want. They listen to you, which is what I love. Mm-hmm. They listen to you. What do you want? What's your book about? Tell us about comparable books, your genre, the whole thing. They really do their research. And because they've done, well, now they've done three covers for me, but it's very easy for me. I just say, okay, this is, and I want something that looks like what you've done before. And I actually... <laughs> I make it easy for them now too because I know where they get their photos from. So I go and find the photos of what the people I want on the covers and the horse. And I just send them to them and they put it all together and make a fabulous cover. So, I mean, you don't have to do that for them. But the first time around, they they did it for me. And then after that, I figured that it was easier and quicker if I find my own guy because then you don't get a cover from them and say, I don't like the, the hero. Mm-hmm. Find the hero first, send it to them, and then they'll put it on. But they're, they're wonderful to work with. they very fast. And I can't recommend them highly enough. Well, that's incredible. Thank you for that tip and that resource. So it's it's 100covers.com. And I'll make sure to mm-hmm. link to that in the show notes so people can go and check out what, what they do. Because I often get questions about, you know, how do you get your book cover designed? And people do this in a lot of different ways. And it's always good to have a, a, a new resource that someone speaks highly of to share. So thank you for that. Good. Now, please use them. <laughs> <laughs> so in total, how many books have you written? Oh, I think it's about 16. That's incredible. There's, there's some nonfiction in those, you know, but yeah, around, around, around 16. Yeah. And I'll make sure to link to your website so people can check out the, the, depth, the depth of your, your backlist, because if we okay. talked about all 16 books, we'd probably be here for, you know, five hours, which I would love to talk to you for five hours, but we have a limited amount of time. Yeah. But in, in the books that you've mentioned, uh, you know, I know we talked about, you know, romance and then uh, the, the Christian fiction or Catholic fiction, is there a message that you hope people connect with when they, when they've finished reading your, your books? Yes. Uh, with the Catholic ones, I am trying to portray the Catholic faith in a positive light. Mm. The Catholic church has managed by itself to portray itself in a less than positive light. And I really would love people to see that the real faith is a beautiful faith. And I has, so many good sides to it and so much that people can benefit from if they are interested at the very least through my catholic fiction and then through my christian fiction the non-denominational romance series i hope to bring people closer to god i hope to bring people to an to a quest for finding out more about god and feeling close to him mm. so it's my way of evangelizing, if you like. 
and and you're being creative with it and you're sharing your message and and inspiring people and that's that's what creative writing is about and you're 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 talking to people through your words about something that's very important to you and and that shines in in people's writing so i think it's lovely and i love that you're inspired to do this now have you always been like a creative writer or did this come come along a little later in life for you came along much later in life my my son loves to say that he he finds it very amusing that I basically flunked English at school. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was jolly close. And here I am now writing and, and not doing too horrible a job at it. Uh, it was just something that I, okay, I wrote a diary when I was, my parents sent me to a school in France when I was a kid, boarding school in France. Immediately after that, they sent me on holiday with a family, a French family on Corsica, and I was not happy, let's just say I wasn't happy. <laughs> so I wrote a diary. I wrote it in English. This is a French family, but the mother found my diary. Uh-oh. Yeah, 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 it was very uh-oh. Even though she didn't speak fluent English, she, she, she got the, the gist of what I was saying. So I, that was it. I was never going to write a diary again, and I never have. So any kind of writing, I just wasn't interested in at all. And then it was later, I was about, my son was about three years old. We'd moved to England. Well, I'd moved to England. My husband was still working in Italy. And we bought a house in England. Our horses were able to live with us there, which is what I also wanted. And my husband did eventually manage to move out there with us. He would visit on weekends. Point being, I was there by myself with my son. And in the evenings, I thought, you know what, I just really like to start writing just for fun. And that's where it started. And then I went to a creative writing class. And that was enormous fun. And it took off from there. Oh, that's that lovely. Was a lot of people, yeah. It, well, and I, I love what you're, I love that you mentioned this too, because you don't have to have a degree in creative writing or have been the A plus student in an English class to write. <laughs> because just by the process of writing, like doing NaNoWriMo or getting your words out on the page, you do improve, you know, it's like every, everything that you write, and the more you write, the better you get it. It's just like a skill you practice and you get sharper, the further you go. Like, you know, if you go back and you read, I don't know, some famous author's very first book, it's going to be 100% different than the ones that, you know, are topping the bestseller list. But it's that practice that gets you to that place where, and you never know which one is going to be that like, just rockets out of you right. and becomes that that one book you know so right. I, love, I love that you mentioned that because you know people are often like I would love to write a book but I'm not good enough and and it's not the case it's just sitting down and doing the work and your proof and it's funny because you'd think that just like the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again but for some reason with writing that's not true <laughs> you just keep working at it you get better at it like you say you're absolutely right yes <laughs> like the horrid comma where on earth do I put this comma <laughs> I know <laughs> I yes I have I have some friends who are very strict about their commas and they get mad at me and we have these huge arguments <laughs> my commas yes I hear you that's what I have an editor for I'm like just I put a comma there, figure, you know, let me know where I need to put my commas because, you know, it's, it's about the words and then make, she helps me make sense of all the punctuation. So, <laughs> uh, um, you know, and so we, we did touch on this a little bit earlier, but it, you, you've had an interesting experience with tr traditional publishing and also independent publishing. Can you talk to us about 
your journey with publishing and what you prefer, traditional or independent publishing? Yeah, I, it's funny. I thought that I would like to be traditionally published. Uh, obviously, there's kudos attached to that. So I was very pleased when this Christian publishing company took up my books. I had been publishing independently for a little while when they picked them up and thought, well, this is great. Then they're going to deal with everything, all the boring stuff, all the admin, all the advertising. All I have to do is sit and write. But then I missed having complete control over the time, the, the, the plan, the timeline, and uh, I was kind of iffy about the covers. It was just lack of control over my work. I just suddenly realized, gee, you know, I've actually enjoyed being in control of the whole process, even though it is a lot of work. So I talked to them and they were very, very kind. They, they really were very, very sweet. And they let me out of the contract. There's you no know, hard feelings. And I went back to taking over all my books and I was a lot happier. I was a lot happier. I can make my own mistakes and I do, but they're mine. Uh, and there's no time lag between writing and publishing when you do it yourself. I, when I'm ready, it gets published. I'm in charge of my whole launch strategy. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't, my my bad. So I, I enjoy everything. I prefer writing, but I like being in control. I'm obviously a control freak. <laughs> Here, let's virtual high five to that. Okay. I, I, I am the same way. I you know uh, I, I do like the control and you know, retaining my intellectual property and having yep. a say in the covers and yes, you know, trying things and some things work and some things don't, but it's like all, it's like all part of the creative journey. And, and yes, I'm like you, it's like, I prefer to be writing and there's a lot of stuff to have to sort of manage. But what I, what I think you touched on that I, in your answers that I, that I read before our interview, what I like the most is that you said you don't have to like write to a schedule. Like you can do it as it suits you. And I appreciate, I, I appreciate that too about independent publishing because writing to schedule can put unneeded stress. I feel like on your creative process and, yes, and maybe yes. not, maybe it's not as good, you know, not all people work well on timelines like that. And, and to your point, as, as I wrote in the notes to you, my horse hurt himself mm. and that really, really put a crunch on my time. I had to, he, this happened in August and we're still six months later. I'm still having to go to the barn twice a day. Uh, the beginning, it was like six hours of my time a day. I had to go out there. I had to do his bandaging, rebandage his legs, take him for a walk, and hand graze him 45 minutes each. Bring him back in. Go back home. Come back out. Half hour trip. Six hours eaten up. No, no problem at all. And I'm used to having five hours to just write and then go see my horse. That was out the window. And as you say, if I had had a traditional publisher, they'd have been breathing down my neck and it would not have gone down well. <laughs> Spoken like a true equestrian, the horses always come first, right? You know, particularly, <laughs> particularly <laughs> yeah. when they're hurt and they're under our care. Like horses always come first before everything. And if you're yes. a horse owner, you know that. But, you know, and, and I love that the, the writing life that you've chosen for your, yourself has provided the opportunity for you to make adjustments so you can be there for your horse in the time of need or your family or whatever you need to be doing. So, and I, I hope he gets well soon. That's, I know how much work it is to take care of a horse that, that's hurt his foot. I know that's, that's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's a soft tissue injury. That's always bad news, uh, but he's getting better and I'm able to ride him now. I, he's on the trot. You 
may or may not have been through this, the good old trot sets, three minutes trot twice in a period of 30 minutes. <laughs> Trying to keep him sane. He's used to being out 24-7 and now he's stuck in a stall, has been for the full six months. Oh. So it's a slow process, but I'm I'm hopeful that looked at him recently and said, hey, my goodness, he's doing all right. So God willing, I will have him back in full work very soon. Oh, fingers crossed for you. And you're being a great horse mom. And, uh, you know, I know this Stolbrus can drive a pony crazy. So you're doing the right thing by him. And, it, you know, you did mention uh, that you had had a writing schedule prior to all this. So like how, how, you know, you've written 16 books. How do you structure your writing time when you aren't caring for an injured horse? Like what, what would a writing session look like for you? Well, my, my regular day is get up at six, get a mass. Uh, used to be until COVID, go to Barnes and Noble. I have my little corner there. I get there right on time. So I grab my corner, <laughs> sit there, drink my coffee. Actually, it's chai tea now. One after the other for five hours. Well, it's about three chai teas for over a period of five hours and write. And the people at the cafeteria knew me well because I was there all the time and they would, they, they would give me more coffee than more tea that I really should get for Because you know, I'd bring in my big mug, my big soup mug, and they'd fill it to the top, even though it was more than the usual venti. They took <laughs> off, they looked after me so well, it was brilliant. And they also, the manager there said, well, what do you do? What do you do that? And I said, well, I'm writing. And luckily I had just got the Saving Prophecy book that I showed you was a bestseller on Amazon. So I said, oh, look. So that was nice. It gave me some kudos with them. And they were wonderful because they also bought my books and put them in the store. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, what more could you ask for? No. So they were wonderful. So that was it. That was my five hours of writing in my little corner with them. And then I would go off ride my horse. And then in the evenings, my husband wanted to go out to dinner with him on Hilton Head Island. It was a perfect schedule. I, I was so spoiled. I mean, so spoiled. And then COVID came along and that changed a bit. Barnes and Noble still were open for as long as they could. Mm. But then, you know, we had the social distancing and then they had to close down for a while. And now the cafeteria there, you they've got like three tables and they've got a big sign there saying, please don't stay for longer than half an hour. Oh. So the five hour thing's gone out the window. That came along and then my horse hurt himself. So my shutter right now is get up, go to church, go to the barn, sort him out. Riding him, yay. Then I go to Kroger, which is just down the road, and they're being very nice to me. <laughs> oh, they, they are, yes. They, they make the tea and bring it over to me now. I don't even have to wait. They're just unbelievable. So I stay there for about three hours, and then I have to go back to the barn and redo my horse's legs and kiss him on the nose. Aww. And then come home. And then come back, so... Well, so you're still getting it in, even though your whole schedule was thrown into an upheaval, you're, you're still getting it in. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm in such a bad mood if I don't get to write. I, are you like that? Yes. Well, it's, there's a couple, the couple feelings that I get, like one, like insane guilt. If I don't yes, sit, yes. sit down and write and keep to my schedule, because I always feel better. Anything I do after I've written, I do it first thing in the morning and I always feel better knowing I got my writing done. So I have like this this, this guilt thing about it but I, you know it's like I'm always happier and not depressed if I've gotten my writing done because it's, yeah. a, it's a gift to yourself to embrace your yes. creative you know streak whatever's going on in you and if you ignore it then you don't you don't feel as good you're just frustrated and 
which which is also a way of knowing that you're doing something you should be doing, I think. Oh, totally. This is yeah. why, you know, we, we have to be doing this. We're driven to do it for, for a reason. It's mm-hmm. just who we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you too, because I, I find this fascinating. Like some people really love like going elsewhere and writing. And then other people really like staying put and writing in their home office. Like for me, I'm a home office person. I, you know, my horses are literally right in front of me and I look at them all day while I'm writing. Yeah, it's great. And I have a, a, a room that I love, and it looks like you've got a lovely room that you love. Yeah, I do, too. I do, yes. But, but you prefer to write outside. Um, why? I'm just curious about your perspective on that. Um, that's a very good question. I'm, I'm actually able to write here, and I, I have written here, especially when COVID was raging. I mean, number one, yes, we did this office so I could write, and my husband sometimes says, why aren't you in your office writing? I said, good question. <laughs> um, so I, I can, but I like... Okay, if I'm at home, then it's too easy to get up and do other stuff. But but when COVID first struck, I was spending a lot of time in my room. I'm, I'm capable of being in my office and being a good girl and writing as I am capable of doing. But I find if I go to a cafe, then I can't buy a drink and not get my writing done. I don't deserve to have that drink if I'm not getting my writing done. Mm-hmm. Then I shouldn't be there. And then I get into it and I'm happy to be there. It, again, I'm not sure about you, but I need a few minutes to get into it. Mm-hmm. Much as I love doing it, I'm perfectly capable of procrastinating. Oh, yes. And then I start writing and say, why did it take me so long to sit down and do this? I love this. Mm-hmm. So if I have a routine, go to the cafe at nine o'clock or whenever, then that is who I am at that point. I am a writer for the next few hours and I get into it faster don't ask me why, but I know a lot of writers like to go to a cafe. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I love that. I love how you said that. I love how you said that if you stay, you're at home, you can't be tempted to get up and go do other things and, and get away from your creative work. And this is a routine that works for you. You know, when you're there yeah. and you have your tea and you've got your laptop, that this is your writing time and that works. Like whatever works to get it done is like important. So you've discovered what works for you and, and, that's great advice for other authors who want to get something done. Often you have to go somewhere else out of the home so you don't get distracted and you focus on exactly what, you, what you're what you intending to do, which is right. If, if, yeah, if I could add to that, that I, I'm surprised that I was able to switch locations. I thought that it was going <laughs> to, I thought I was going to have a meltdown about having to go somewhere else, which is ridiculous, but, and it wasn't true in the end, but I, you can adjust very quickly. You just have to find that place wherever it is mm-hmm. that, turn it into your space. Once it's your space, then you're off and running. Yeah. And that is, that is one thing too about the pandemic. It sure does make us appreciate the things that we once did that maybe we, you know, I know you appreciated your Barnes and Noble and how they treated you and your little spot, but it like makes you appreciate all the more, the things that you were once able to do around your creative life or even just your social life or anything. So I think, I mean, everybody has. Yeah. So when you're able to go plunk your hiney back down at that Barnes and Noble, you're going to be one happy author, you know, get back to your, <laughs> your spot. You're probably going to write like 27 books, like in like, you know, two days. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, on average, like how, you know, you have written quite a few books, like on average, how long does it usually take you to write a book, keeping the schedule that you do, it sounds like you're pretty committed to your schedule, which is the most important way to get books done. So how long does it usually take you to write a book? It takes between three and four months. Mm, I was, 
Oh, it's funny you say that because I think, gosh, this is slow. There are other people out there writing about 10 books a year. Why can't I be one of those? But I can't, and it's not worth even trying to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I three to four books a year. How many do you write? I'm, you know, I'm pretty much one book a year kind of girl. Uh, you know, when I'm doing like this podcast and all these other things. But well, yeah, yeah, it's not exclusively what you do. But I've noticed that the more books I write, the faster I do get. And uh, the more I stay with my routine, the more yeah. I get done and the quicker they get done. What happens with what happened for me early on in my career is I would get knocked my writing career, I get knocked off my routine often. Mm-hmm. And then it takes a while to get back with your story. But if you're, I find if you're touching it every day, it's easier to be with your characters and easy yes. to, easier to move the story forward. Yes. Yeah. Cause you know them so well, you can't help yourself. <laughs> oh, and they're just in your head telling you what to write. If you stay yes. with them all the time. <laughs> yes. It's, it's very true. Yes. And in your books, how many words in general is an average book for you? It's funny you should say that because I've just almost finished the first draft of the next one. Mm-hmm. And You've got that little number there on your screen telling you how many words. And I'm thinking, gee whiz, that's a lot less words than the last book. So I pulled out the last two. And I thought, oh, man, I've got another 20,000 words to go. And that translated into about 14 chapters. I was just sitting there yesterday figuring this out. But that tells me that it's okay. To answer your question, it's around 60,000. Okay. 60, it's between 60 and 70,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started out a lot. Yes, actually, the first book was probably about 45,000 and then it mushroomed um so here I am writing the second book of the third trilogy and it's right now 45,000 words and the previous the first book was Mm 67,000 so that tells me the book doesn't have enough in it Mm -hmm. I now know that means it doesn't have enough storylines in it and one thing that I always do is say it obviously needs more horse lines. I've got to put more stuff about horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can do that. I can do that. So I was just writing out, okay, what horse incidents would fit in nicely with what I've written so far with the plot line. So anyway, these days I aim for 65,000. Yeah. And that's a perfect number. I mean, like, I think like an average novel is like what, 50,000 words to 80, you know, yeah. 80 to a hundred. So you're like, yeah. right, you're right in there. I think uh, my books average around 80 to 90,000 words. So, you know, it's just, it, it's oh. just what works. Like when you feel like it's done, it's done. You know, it's like, that's just yeah. how it goes. Like sometimes I get to the end of my stories and I'm like, whoa, it's done. You know, it's like, I knew it was getting there, but then all of a sudden you hit it and you're like, okay. And it's, it's really not about the word count. It's about the quality of the story. Yes. So, yeah. But it's Which, also when you get to the end, you don't, you feel sad. Kind of. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, it's like, it's like reading a great book or watching an awesome movie or a TV series that you don't want to end. And then you're, you're right. but then you're like, oh my gosh, where are they taking me now? Because often my characters are like, I got more, I have more to say here. (laughs) Yes, yes. I've I've got some great friends, two in particular, who are very good at saying, this is where they need to go next. I mean, they do my work for me. It's wonderful. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Reader feedback often helps a lot. Like, you know, sometimes readers will say, I wish I knew this about so-and-so. And And then it's like, oh, wait. Okay. And then that blooms up in in the next book in the series. That's the fun part about writing a series is you can kind of yeah. address questions and expand your characters and lead them into new situations. Uh, it's a lot of fun. That being said, how do you reach your readers, Hillary? Uh, you know, it's like you, you, you're doing it. You're like a rock and rolling indie author. So how, how are you getting to your readers? The first thing I did was start out 
trying to get subscribers. I found out through a lot of research, that's what, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what authors do. They, they need subscribers. That's a lot of authors say that they wish they had got a subscriber base before they even read that, wrote their first book, which sounds a little interesting. I would not want to have done that. <laughs> but I found out you had, you need a website, you need to have a magnet, which, I mean, you don't have to do this, but this is a recommended way by a guy called Nick Stevenson. He's a British writer and he, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm familiar. Yeah, he, he's yeah. great. Yeah, he has some great resources and tips. And I, yes. love, I love that you're talking about this because this is what it's all about, educating yourself. Get out there, educate yourself, learn what is working for other authors. Take take what you like, leave what you don't, but, you know, learn. Like that's, yes. it's a constant growing experience as an author and particularly an indie author and I love that you got out there and you're like okay I'm gonna educate myself that's like so awesome. <laughs> well he's a great resource I mean Nick Nick Stevenson he comes out with a lot of really helpful stuff and yeah he said website read a magnet and then also I don't know if readers are familiar with book funnel do you do you know book funnel mm -hmm. so you can put your book on book funnel you become a member of Book Funnel. I think it's about $150 a year, but believe me, it's absolutely worth it. So you can put your book on there as just to get subscribers. So put it on there for free and people subscribe to you to get your book, but you join your book in with a whole bunch of other people's books for a particular promotion. So you have other authors sending their subscribers to your book and then you get more subscribers and then your subscribers, once you get a base, go to their books and it's, it's shared resources. So that's a wonderful way to get more subscribers. And then slowly but surely, I just gradually, gradually got a bigger and bigger subscriber base and they've been wonderful and they've been absolutely wonderful. And from that group, I've developed a launch team. I know you're familiar with that. And they're very active. They always read the new books and they are so sweet about posting reviews to help me on Amazon and BookBub and Goodreads and anywhere else that they can think of. So it started out very small as it does. And you get that first subscriber and you go, oh my gosh, I have a subscriber. And then you think, oh, I'm so glad they don't know they're the only one. <laughs> and then somehow it snowballs, but it does. It just does. But but definitely, you start with that. If you get some people to write reviews for your books, that helps so much to get people interested. It's tough. It's it's tough, but it's doable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is a that is a hard thing uh, getting reviews. But I think they said for every one hundred readers that read a book, only one will leave a review, and they are so important for for authors. But I think people are nervous about it. That's why you building a launch team or a beta reader team is such a smart idea because these are people who are who love your work and are invested in you and then you offer them I imagine a free copy of the newest book and then ask them oh to yeah review. they get yeah they get an art copy and then <clears throat> I would say for the first five good reviews I get uh from them I send them the hard copy too oh that's it's lovely that's a nice I'm so great yeah. I'm so grateful to them I sign it and, oh, uh, send that's a nice to way them. to reward them I, I love that and then and then how big is your beta reader team because I don't, I don't feel like it has to be like 500 people no. to make an impact, you know? No, I've got, uh, my, my book launch team is 80 people. Mm. 
And then I've got also on Facebook, I didn't mention that, my Facebook friends, I tell them straight away because a lot of my Facebook friends are my buddies from my riding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I've got people from my my dressage association in Maryland and in Virginia, where places I've been. I post there and they read them and they get, they write reviews as well and mm. hopefully tell their friends. So they're, they're also people I immediately tell about the new book mm -hmm. uh, as well as my launch team for my subscriber base. And, you know, not everybody on my launch team writes a review, but enough of them do to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that is really fantastic. And you're really speaking to the power of building community and being good to your readers and good to people and, you know, working with other equestrians, you know, letting them know about your books. So it's all about being great to people, I think, is how we actually have an impact as authors is just to take care of the people who are reading our books, because we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if they're not reading our books, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful to people who, A, bother reading them, and definitely, you know, if they write a review, it's just, just amazing to me still that they do that. I, I'm enormously grateful to them. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, you, you are doing so much right. And this, this interview has been so packed with great information. I really appreciate, appreciate you, <laughs> Hillary. I, you know, I always like to ask this question too, because the answers are always so different. And uh, I like getting different perspectives. So, but for you, what has been the hardest part about being an author? But on the flip side of that, you know, of course, our readers, but what's been the very best part of your author journey? The hardest part is getting a bad review and saying it doesn't matter, keep going. Mm. I'd say that's the absolute hardest part. And even harder than that is when you get a bad review uh, for a very bizarre reason that doesn't seem to, that seems unfair, but mm. so what? Everybody deals with that. That's the thing. You say, mm -hmm. okay, so what? Mm -hmm. So what? It doesn't matter. Just move on. You're doing what you feel you should be doing. Keep doing it. Don't let that affect you. And I haven't had enough really bad reviews to even that I should even be worrying about it. Uh, so that's the tough part. That's the tough part about being a writer. You've got to have a thick skin, even though you're a creative, so you have a very thin skin. This is part of the deal. But the fun thing about writing is you create what you want, isn't it? You've got, I mean, I talked about control earlier. You've got control over your characters, over your setting, over everything. It's just magic. <laughs> Just, and you sit there, you know, I was saying earlier, why do I procrastinate? I love doing this. And you sit down and you're in your world and it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's just wonderful. You're, you're in your happy space. Mm -hmm. Just doing what you love. Doing what I love riding my horse and doing what I love writing. So that's the best part about being an author is you, you, you control it, you make it happen, and you know you can do it again tomorrow. Oh, melt my heart. You've spoken like a true creative, I, you know, and you said so many things that really I connect with there, like the developing a thick skin because it happens to all of us with the difficult reviews and, you know, just, just keep going and, and it, you put your creative work out there. And I think another author told me the best sort of advice, which was you cannot please everyone. Not everyone is going to like what you wrote, you know, just right. like not everybody likes coffee, you know, not everybody's going to like what, what we're writing, but if it's calling you, keep going forward, what you're doing, which is awesome. And then the, the, you get the procrastination. I completely connect with too. Like I often say the same thing to myself. Why did I procrastinate when I come out of my writing session? Because I feel so alive. And it's, it's just like that 
and you got to get over that initial hump and just sit down and do the work. And then you, it's like magic, like you said, which is, it's weird. It's a weird writer thing. But then, <laughs> but then also like just the magic that you talked about, like sometimes I'll come out of a writing session and I'll like read what I wrote. And I'm like, who the heck wrote that? Do you ever have that experience? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like I wasn't, I wasn't even there. Like who, who yeah, did that? Yeah. You're just yeah. so in the zone. It's just pouring out of you and you don't even realize it. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh. Amazing. Total high. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And the yeah. best kind, once you make yourself do it and you get over that procrastination hump. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, and if you could go back before you published your first book, what piece of advice would you give yourself uh, be, you know, before embarking on your author career? I think it would go back to what I was saying earlier about being serious about getting uh, email subscribers. Mm -hmm. I've read plenty of books where so many authors have said the same thing and they are so important because they're there that they're people who care about your work. Mm -hmm. So develop people who care about your work and make you feel it's worth carrying on even on those days when you think, is anybody going to read this? Um, but the second thing in conjunction with that is just keep writing anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if nobody, you think nobody's going to read it. When I started writing some of these books, I wrote a Christian mystery called Brittle Diamonds that has a horse in it. It had to have a horse in it. <laughs> but it's not about horses. Uh, it was to do with coming back to Catholicism and then discovering Catholic churches going through a bad period. So I wrote what I, I, I just wrote it because I had to write about a priest who was a good priest. Mm. I guess he was the forerunner to Father Michael thinking about it. Um, but I had no idea whether anybody was going to read it. No idea whatsoever. I just wrote it because I had to write it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's been many years since I wrote it, and now it's coming into its own. But it didn't matter at the time. I wrote it because I was very passionate about the subject, and I was just going to write it anyway. Yes. And you were listening to your muse and your soul and like what was propelling you forward. And I think that as a writer, that's the most important thing you can do. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned the, the email subscribers and the newsletter lists. And, you know, it is a different style of writing when you're, when you're communicating with people on your email subscriber mm. list, mm. you know, but those yeah. are good people to take care of because I wanted to point out that you own your relationship with people when they subscribe to your email. Like yes. you do not own your relationships with people on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or yeah. whatever, like Amazon, any of that could go away at any point, yes. any day. But if you have yes. someone's email good address, point. Very yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, if you have someone's email address and a relationship with them and they're interested in who you are and you're taking good care of them, I, that email list is going to be more important to you than your social media followers or channels yes. because you have immediate Most Definitely. Yeah, but but Jimmy, yeah. you're right. It, but it has, like you said, it's a very different kind of writing, and that's been quite hard for me to develop. Mm. But uh, thankfully, because I write horse fiction, that means when my readers are interested in horses, yay! <laughs> so I do always have a section about what's going on with crews. As you appreciate, with everything going on with him recently, I've had plenty to write about. Yeah, uh, so, and yeah. people have been very sweet, and they've responded to that. So there's a little section in my newsletter about that. So it's easy for me to write about my horse. But I still have to think about what else to write in my newsletter besides, oh, look, I've written a new book. And Exactly. It's about you building. you got off a value. Yeah, you got off a value. You can't just say, I've written a new book and now I want you to buy it. No, that's not <laughs> how it works. Exactly. Well, and, and to that point, like telling the story about what's going on with your horse, it's like 
people who support authors by signing up for their email newsletters are actually interested in the author as a human. Like what makes them tick? How do they write the books the way that they do? Like what, what are their inspirations and like what, you know, what, what, what does their muse call for them? So it's different, you know, like when we write fiction, we're kind of behind the scenes using our experiences to sort of fuel the stories, but it's not about us. But then when we turn over to our email newsletter list and we're interacting with our readers, it is about us. And sometimes it's hard for a creative to, to pull back the curtain and talk about themselves. So, and there's a lot of resources out there to like help, help you learn how learn the skill, but it's more than like, it's like what you said, it's more than sending them a note saying, buy my book. It's about building a relationship. Well, I have to say Nick Stevens has been very useful to me in that respect because he writes very interesting emails and, and most of the time it's silly stuff going on with his kids. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on his his newsletter list too and I'll link to him. Okay, so you know what I'm well. talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I thought, wow, yeah, he's he's writing everyday stuff and, and I love it, so let's try that with my my, my newsletters. Mm-hmm. People, do, Like you say, people do actually want to find – which which is amazing to me. I didn't think they would, but they do. So yeah. great. I can write about me. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> we can try that hat on every now yeah. and then. Yeah. Yeah. It, just, it really is interesting though. You know, like when you embark to tell a story, you never expect that these other pieces will come with it or that people would even be interested in who you are as a human being. But it's, it's, no, a, it's no. so beautiful. And, the, and that's really what it's about. It's about being human and humanity and sharing our humanity with each other, really, you know, when it comes down to it. And then the other the other side of the coin is when they write to you and tell you stuff going with them, responding yeah. to what you've written. I love that too. Oh, I just love it when they write to me. It is the best feeling ever. It means that you you moved, touched, and inspired someone. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, yeah, it's really special. Oh, I have goosebumps. I'm loving talking to you. So, oh. Hillary, what is next? Like, what are you up to? Where are you going? What are you heading? More books in the pipeline? Well, okay, so I'm writing the second one of this third trilogy, which I wasn't ever going to write anyway. I wrote the first book in it and shelved it because I didn't know where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of mine said, well, hang on a minute. What, what, no, you've got to keep going with this. And this has <laughs> got to happen and that and that. And what happens here and here? So that's why I'm writing the trilogy. So writing the second book now, as I mentioned, and then obviously the third book in that. But after that, I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm not sure whether I will write a fourth trilogy or whether I should go into something different. I have also written the draft outline, I should say the outline for the fourth Sinclair Island romance too, because I am having a lot of fun with that. I can't, can't deny that. <laughs> um, the pretty, pretty dramatic, this fourth one that I've written. So it's probably, I'll finish this trilogy while my, it's still in my head and I'm going with the characters and then another another one of the Sinclair Island romances. And then I'd like to write something that connects the Hilton Head romance that I originally wrote with the Sinclair Island romance. And the characters, they are, they are they're coming on to Sinclair Island from Hilton Head. So something's over going, but I don't know what to call it because it won't be the Hilton, Hilton Head one. I don't know if it'll be the Hilton Head slash Sinclair Island, who knows? Oh, like a fun like connector offshoot yeah. series. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah. love this. Yeah, you'll see. I, you know, I'm galloping out and I'm grabbing these because I love Hilton Head Island and I'm so excited they're in their romances. My mom is going to be all over this. You're going to have <laughs> someone in your corner, like, you know, she loves that. 
she loves supporting local authors too. So, I mean, this Aww. is just, this is just so unique that we connected and I love that. So I, I have so enjoyed speaking with you today. Oh, I've had a wonderful time. Thank oh. you very much. Yes. Can you let listeners know where they can find you in your books? Website is quite simply hillarywalkerbooks.com. So if you plug in hillarywalkerbooks.com, that's my website and I, it's up to date. I've got all my books on there and you find the links to Amazon, but I also publish on other platforms. As you mentioned, if Amazon were to pull the rug out from under my feet, <laughs> I'd like to, <laughs> like to be elsewhere. Mm. So, And also because Barnes & Noble have been so good to me, as I mentioned, I've been very careful to publish with them too which I do through draft to digital I don't know do you know draft to digital mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I use them for use Amazon and draft to digital to get my books out on other platforms including Barnes and Noble but but my website has the links to everything that all the, all the various platforms okay and on your website can they get to you on Facebook and uh, other social media platforms where you may be yes yes I've okay. got my little buttons there for the other platforms as well Excellent. So I will make sure to link to all those places in your show notes so people can get directly to you and your books and your social media platforms and learn more about you. Thanks, Kai. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's just incredible that you do this for us as you're trying to get your writing done too. So it's amazing (laughs) that you take the time to help us out too. It's really wonderful. Appreciate it so much. It's my pleasure. I mean, it just makes me so happy when equestrian authors unite. That's like what I'm all about. And I learned so much. I've learned so much today talking with you and it's just a joy. I just, I really love talking to our community. So thank you for the gift of your time and being on the show, Hillary. Thank you so much, Carly. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author, who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>